Good evening, Jets fans. I am Glenn Norton. <clears throat> Thank you for tuning in to listen to Jet Nation Radio. I apologize for the um, the raspy voice this evening. A little bit of a cold. That's why we pushed the show back. It was uh, <clears throat> not all that audible last night. So thank you for tuning in and uh, <laughs> a lot to cover. I know that, like myself, many of you are incredibly frustrated by what has transpired with this team over the course of the last three, four, five days. Um, just really some unbelievable, uh, just an unbelievable series of events that even for me, I think for even some of the most cynical Jets fans, tough few days to to uh, to digest exactly what has happened. So, what exactly has happened? Well, first, first let's thank our sponsor. Get right into that. <clears throat> and our sponsor is TheLinebacker.com. Football season is here, guys. That means the start of the donation season to their local sports book, but it doesn't have to be that way. Linebacker produces winning sports predictions based off thousands of game simulations. Easy-to-use, customized betting profile tells you which team to back and how much to bet. <clears throat> Our listeners get a 25% discount on the first linebacker purchase when they use the promo code JETNATION, J-E-T-N-A-T-I-O-N, at thelinebacker.com. And for a free trial today, get some winning picks and make some more money. So give the linebacker a look. Give yourself a, give yourself maybe give yourself a way to enjoy football Sundays because I'll tell you what, for uh, for Jets fans right now, that's something that is not happening. Because not only not only did the Jets lose this Sunday, as we well know, they lost to a team that we said before they would. They lost to the two and seven, the now three and seven Buffalo Bills. And to me, losing this game the way they did, losing to a team with Matt Barkley under center. Um, and I had said that it lost to Nathan Peterman. Todd Bowles would deserve to be fired. Um, that was before we knew Barkley would start. And from didn't change anything. I mean, is Malikley a better player than Nathan Peterman? Yes. Fantastic. Um, he's a guy who was sitting on his couch a few days before the game, 10 days, I think. The Bills give him a call. They bring him in. They give him a start. Guy hadn't played football in a couple years because main reason being he's not good at it, not at the pro level. If he was on your flag football, he'd be psyched. But in terms of NFL standards, Matt Barkley's not a good football player. And all Matt Barkley did was go out there and hang 31 points in one half, his first half of football. Barkley and the Bills hang B1 on Todd Bowles, the defensive genius, in a single half. They go on to win 41-10. They scored early and often. They scored at will. They scored when they felt like it. For those of you who watched, you saw the 
Bills opening drive. Took them all of two plays to score a touchdown. That was it. Two plays they needed. They opened up with a 47-yard completion from Matt Barkley to Robert Foster. Um, sounds a lot... It has, has a ring to it, doesn't it? It's kind of like mine to Rice. Barkley to Foster. Foster was on the practice about a few days before the game. He got the call up. First play of the game, he beats 70, however many, $74 million man, Tremaine Johnson, for a 47-yard catch. And then LaShawn McCoy, who hadn't scored a touchdown all year, takes takes the ball on the next play. Runs to the right, to the outside, or bounces it to the outside for a uh, 28-yard touchdown run. Seven-yard catch, 28-yard run. Jets were down 7 nothing in a matter of seconds, and Buffalo never looked back. They pick up a fumble in the end zone for a touchdown. Steven Hauschka hits a field goal. Then the go tackle eligible, Deion Dawkins. Catches a seven-yarder from Matt Barkley. Then LaShawn McCoy again, just before the half. With 42 seconds to go in the half, McCoy scores 31 points to open the game, to start the game for the Bills. Did I mention the fact they scored 33 points in their previous four games combined? And they only needed two quarters to nearly match that total against Todd Bowles' defense. The Jets will get on the board with a Jason Myers field goal. Time expired. Quite the uh, quite the reaction from the Jets faithful in attendance. God bless every one of you who stayed in the building for that game. The Jets' lone touchdown came on the next score. Isaiah Crowell, five-yard run. But then the Bills get on the board again. Zay Jones, eight-yard catch from Barkley with 33 seconds to go in the quarter. And then Hauschka caps the scoring. 2.44 to go. Boots a 31-yarder. Final score. The 3-7. and seven. Buffalo Bills, 41. And the now 3-7 and seven New York Jets, 10. In their own building, against the quarterback who'd been sitting on his couch for almost a couple of years. And he comes in and just lights them up. I mean, how could you just lights them? After all, you know, they had Robert Foster and Terrell Pryor. Well, actually, didn't have a catch. He just got released again. Something's not right with that guy. But Zay Jones, 93 yards. Robert Foster, 105. Shady McCoy runs for 113. Marcus Murphy, 14 carries for 69. The Jets had no answer for the Bills' offense. The vaunted Bills' offense. On offense, Jets couldn't get anything going, as we said. McCown goes 17-34 for 135. And I will say, having having uh, defended this O-line in the offseason, the preseason, much of the season, 
this was the second game in a row where they didn't look anything like they did to the first seven games. Pretty bad. McCown was harassed consistently. The pressures had to be in the double digits. Didn't count them all when I watched the film. But McCown was harassed consistently. Just had one yard of offense in the first quarter. One yard. Closest thing to a bright spot on offense for the Jets would have to be Elijah McGuire. Can you running back? Six carries for 30. Three catches for 27. So unlimited opportunities for an atrocious offense. The guy looked a little bit, you know, he did some things that that were impressive. He did some things he looked at and think, okay, this guy might be able to, uh, this guy might develop into something. We need to see more of him. And we'll talk more about that. We're going to talk some things that need to happen or that would be nice to see, should I say, over the course of the second half of the season. But first, with, with the... With that out of the way, talking about the game, how it unfolded. Todd Bowles, ladies and gentlemen. I said before this game, there's no way you can keep this guy around if they lose. Anticipation was high. If if you were a Jets fan and you were on Twitter on Monday morning, you saw other people saying it, you were probably thinking it yourself. Hitting that refresh button. Because we knew that Todd Bowles was going to be meeting with Christopher Johnson, team owner. Christopher Johnson on Monday morning, as they do every week, according to Bowles. And you're just waiting for the word. Todd Bowles, he's going to get fired. They got to fire him. Who's going to replace him? Is it going to be Carl Dennison? I saw people saying they hoped it was Dennis Green. Who had, just names were floating around. So, Somebody on this staff has to get promoted. Who's, who's going to ride out this final six-game stretch with Todd Bowles out of the job? And the longer it lingered, later in the morning it got. Well, I don't know about you, but myself, I just thought, they're going to keep this guy. They're going to let him continue coaching this team. And sure enough, a little while later, it gets leaked. Todd Bowles is not going to be let go. Ownership was not embarrassed enough. It wasn't a big enough joke for them to watch Todd Bowles' team go out there and lay an egg against the guy who's not an NFL caliber quarterback. And and to me, and for, I know there's some of you guys that listen to the No Fly Zone podcast, Ian and Rich out of Ireland, I did their show a couple nights ago, and I I said it on there, and and I'll say it again. As much talk as we're you know we're here because because Rex Ryan came out and made some comments about how embarrassed the Jets should be about this game, and it was oh what about the time you lost thirty eight three to the same Bills team? Game had to be played in Detroit because Buffalo was snowed in. That was even worse. That this was worse. That 38-3, yeah, yes, embarrassing loss to the Lions in Detroit in a week when the Bills didn't get to practice. 
because of the weather conditions, this loss was worse. You want to know why? That Rex Ryan team lost to an NFL quarterback, not a great NFL quarterback, but an NFL quarterback nonetheless, against a veteran team late in the season. You do something like that, and I was worried going into that game because I thought to myself, I forget what week it was. It was late enough in the year that you knew this Bills team, you know, they're not finding their feet. They, they're veterans. They know, they know this offense. They know this defense. I looked at it as a well-rested team that knew their playbook and had something to play for in terms of having sat home that week and watching the news about, you know, that community, people in that community dying, literally. I forget the numbers, but there were people dying in their homes. And that was a, that was a really rough week for that community. And every now and then in sports, you see situations where teams, they get the whole, let's give our fans something, let's, let's try to pick everybody up a little bit. You know, we got a lot of fans out there. We play well. Everybody feels a little better. Let's be that let's be that one thing they can feel good about. So the Bills had something to play for. They had a few days off. They they were probably at home on their computers watching film. Communicating with the with the coaches through the you know, through the internet. So you had a well rested veteran team with an NFL caliber quarterback. In this situation, you had one of the worst teams in the NFL that was averaging ten points a game, less than ten points a game, fewer than ten points a game over their previous four games, with a guy who does not belong in the NFL in your own building at home, and you lost forty-one to ten. Inexcusable. And for ownership to, and really, they're really not doing Todd Bowles any favors. Even as someone who wants Todd Bowles gone, I don't want to see him get up in front of the media after the, after these next five or six losses, however many they manage to lose, and have to answer the same damn questions about his job. And he's going to say, I don't want to talk about my job. And they're going to ask him about his job. And he's going to say, I don't discuss my job publicly. And someone's going to ask him again about his job. I mean, honestly, if I'm Todd Bowles, and I'm, you know, after perfectly, for example, when the Jets get their asses kicked against the Patriots in two weeks, if I'm Todd Bowles and I go up there and someone asks me about my job, I'm going to let the press know. One more question about my job, and this is over. And then when that question is inevitably asked, I'm going to walk away. Walk away. It, you know you're fired. Everyone knows you're fired. The Jets are just going to send them out there, let the team continue being bad, let Bowles continue to get ripped. He's going to, get, he's going to hear every name in the book from the fans at the stadium at MetLife. They're frustrated. They're fed up. They're tired of watching this team stink it up under this guy. His own players. Jamal Adams. And Avery Williamson. 
both commented publicly after the game. And Jamal Adams, who famously uh, earlier this off this preseason, this actually happened while I was out in Florham Park. Jamal Adams, well, the interview didn't. The interview took place during the offseason. Then it was released during the preseason, uh, where Jamal Adams said that the lo- the locker room during his rookie year wasn't a good place. Not everybody was busting their asses. Not everybody was putting forth the effort. But changes had to be made, and those changes were made. Well, he was asked on WFAN if if he stood by those comments, if those changes had been made. His response, and I'll quote him here, this is Jamal Adams, team leader, commenting on the locker room, Todd Bowles, Adam says, honestly, I could sit here and sugarcoat everything, but things have not changed. Obviously, we're still losing. I'm not saying we have guys like that in the locker room, but at the same time, it's not changing. It hasn't changed. So, no, Jamal Adams isn't going to name anyone publicly. But and Jamal Adams, he either he's either disingenuous when he says that he's got Todd Bowles' back and he wants Todd Bowles back and he believes in Todd Bowles and the locker room supports Todd Bowles. If all of those things are true, you do not then come out and say all the problems we had last year under this head coach are still here this year under this head coach. So Jamal Adams is either not being honest when he says he wants Todd Bowles back or, and I know he's a young guy, but or he doesn't understand the impact of the things he's saying publicly. And we know Todd Bowles wasn't happy the first time he said this. And I'm sure they talked. And he basically repeats it verbatim. Avery Williamson appeared later in the day on Joe and Evan on WFAN. And Joe and and Evan were letting the Jets have it. And I asked Avery Williamson, a game like this, what happens in the locker room? What does Todd Bowles say to you guys? Avery Williams' response? Uh, um, I'm trying to remember. It, it was Jamal who was trying to get everybody up. Jamal was speaking. So Todd Bowles, with his team trailing 31-3, in a game that could very well determine his his fate, his future with the club. Because I get it. Listen, I've, I've interviewed players, veteran players, who played for good coaches, for for great coaches, for bad coaches. Who have said, look, you know, sometimes the coach lets the guy, lets his guys lead, lets his locker room lead. But then there are times where it's up to the coach. Step in. And, and you know, I don't want to be a hypocrite here because I've said over the years, players are players, players are people. You can't force somebody to want something. You can't force somebody to be motivated. 
yes, there are some great motivators out there, some better than others. But that's that's shocking to me. It's shocking to me to hear that while the team was down 31-3 at the half with a head coach who's looking at losing his job, and one of your best players says, I, I don't remember him saying anything. Like, was he even in the locker room? Did he go to his office during the half? Just leave it up to the players to to get everybody ready for the second half? Just a couple of statements from two, let's face it, two very good players, two of the best players on that team, week in and week out, in Adams and Williamson. And they go out there, and they make these public comments about Todd Bowles, saying that they don't remember if he said anything that mattered. Well, I shouldn't say, didn't say, just couldn't remember if he said anything. Not sure if he said anything. And then the other guy saying, we still have this issue with commitment, with effort. You know, everybody thought that would leave with Muhammad Wilkerson. And you have to wonder now, I'll tell you what, I mean, again, whether if you want to use the injury excuse or whatever, but you have to wonder if Tremaine Johnson is the new Muhammad Wilkerson. Because not only did he have a bad day and get beat up pretty good, uh, when he was asked about it after the game, at least the description I saw was that uh, he was kind of laughing about it, you know, when they when they asked him if it bothered him to beat on that big 47-yard play to start the game by Robert Foster. And he just kind of laughed it off, said, no, it happens. Which is similar. We've seen that once or twice with some other players this uh, this season. Guys who made huge mistakes and then just kind of said it didn't really bother them. Maybe Isaiah Crowell after the the uh, the, the Cleveland penalty. But either way, guys don't seem to be that bothered. Not well, all of the guys, I should say, don't seem to be that bothered. There, there do seem to be some guys in the locker room who are they're all right with losing. They're all right with getting beat by a team that has no business winning any games. And it's it's really just mind boggling. And you know, I look at Tremaine Johnson and how much his play has regressed this season from what he's been the last few seasons in in St. Louis with the Rams at St. Louis, LA, he was in both. And I think to myself, this, here's another guy who under Todd Bowles has seen a huge drop off in his play. But now to be fair to Bowles, (laughs) you might have another guy who got his big payday and now he's just happy to collect his checks. I don't know, but there are, and you know, I've, I've discussed this before. To me, there's an alarming number, an alarming number of players who we've seen regress under Todd Bowles. Leonard Williams is one of them. Sheldon Richardson looked like he was going to be one of the best defenders in the NFL. Falls off the map under Todd Bowles. Muhammad Wilkerson. Voted, what was it, 51st best player in the NFL by his peers a couple years ago. Todd Bowles comes in. He disappears. 
again, might have been the money with him. Because he, much like Jermaine Johnson, huge drop-off after a big payday. You know, some guys who aren't quite his big name, but remember Marcus Gilchrist? Remember him? His first year with the Jets? He's a pretty good player. Did a nice job. Year two, went down the toilet. Last couple years, I'm not going to sit here and lie and say I've watched a ton of him since he's left. But I've heard his name a couple times in a in a positive light. I've looked him up to see what PFF thinks of him. Decent grades. Not great, but hell of a lot better than he was in year two under Todd Bowles. And there are some guys that are getting better. You know, Jordan Jenkins picked up his fifth sack this uh, this week. Darren Lee, obviously, coming along, playing better. There are some guys, Adams and May, both playing well again this year. But also a lot of big, a lot of guys who were expected to be impact players. Leo was supposed to be a game changer. Mo Wilk was a game changer until he got paid. But but two guys, and I've. I've brought this up before, and I hate to keep beating a dead horse. The more I think about it, the more it bothers me. Because, you know, there are a lot of people saying, how does Mike McCagnin escape this? Where's the criticism for Mike McCagnin? This team doesn't have this. This team doesn't have that. Have we seen enough from Todd Bowles to be able to say confidently that if a a player or a group or a team that if they're not playing well, then they just must, they they must not be that good. Because if Todd Bowles is your coach, you get he gets the best out of what he's got. I I have no doubt that with a better coach, this team would be playing much better. And I'm not saying they'd be, you know, they'd have one loss right now. I'm not saying they'd be a 14-2 and two team. But for my money, the, the disappearing act, and I said this the other day with the no-fly zone guys, that it, it's, like, uh, it's like Jeremy Bates is a magician, and somehow he's made Robbie Anderson... And Jermaine Curse disappear. I mean, I get that Sam Darnold has been bad. Because he has. Some of it's been the O-line. But even when he's protected. Even 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 when, the, when he's got time to throw. He's got a ton of picks. Completion percentage isn't that good. And all of a sudden. Robbie Anderson and Jermaine Curse. Can't get open. And when they are open, Darnold misses them. But when you look at what this offense did last year with John Morton and what they're not doing this year with Jeremy Bates, is that really on Mike McCagnin? And if so, how? And as I said a couple weeks ago, this isn't a situation where we're talking about wide receivers with potential, with hype, who have never done anything, and I'm sitting here complaining that uh, why aren't they producing? Because then someone could easily say, well, you know what, Glenn? 
They've never produced. They're just not that good. That's not the case here. I know fans get caught up in the here and now. And now more than ever, at least in my opinion, fans forget stuff. Fans forget that a guy played well 10 minutes ago. I don't care how many people say it. I don't care how many times I hear it. I don't care how many times I read it on Twitter. But you're not... Watch Quincy Inunua and what that guy does when he catches the football. Look at Robbie Anderson when you incorporate him in the offense and actually connect with him on a deep ball. Changes the whole dynamic of the offense. These are guys who can play. And if there was better in place as there was last year, we'd be seeing better results as we did last year. So I'm I'm not ready to sit here and say that this team hasn't surrounded Sam Donald with any weapons. Because we've seen the production on the field. We know these guys can play. They're clearly being used in a way this season where their production has plummeted. It's not like these guys played well last year and they were in their mid, you know, early to mid-30s. And you're like, oh, well, they're entering that point in their career where they just don't have you know, nothing left in the tank. These are young guys. who played at a high level last season. And now you add a Chris Herndon to that equation. And, yeah, I, I don't... I, I feel like there are certain things that get repeated so many times on the Internet that whether they're true or not, they become true in some people's minds. And I'm looking at the facts. I'm not getting caught up in the emotion of being three and seven. And saying, we're 3-7, and seven, and we can't score, that means this team sucks. No. This team's 3-7, and seven, this team sucks. But they're not putting their best players to use. They're just not. So here's the hoping that if and when the Jets move on from Todd Bowles, that they do so in a way that allows them to bring in a successful offensive coach. We've gone through the names, you know, some of the names. Filippo, David Shaw. I saw someone earlier tweeting out, can't even remember the names, a couple of first-time candidates. Brand new, just got his first job as a quarterback coach. Uh I know Filippo would be a first-time guy, too, but he's done a little bit more. And how about the Harbaugh's? What about either of the Harbaugh brothers? Both highly successful in the NFL. And both rumored to be on the outs with their teams. Jim in Michigan and John in Baltimore. It'd be hard to argue with either of those guys, honestly. I mean, yes, Jim is... 
apparently a mental case. Brings a lot of grief, a lot of issues to his, uh, in the building with him that leads to resentment and being sent on his way. But something's got to change. There's got to be an offensive guy to come in, replace Todd Bowles, clean up this mess. Because that's what it is. It's a huge mess. Like I said, the offensive line is regressing. The run blocking was never that good to begin with. The pass blocking was okay-ish. And the last couple weeks, that hasn't been the case. And if that doesn't get better, nothing's going to get better. It's going to be more of the same every week. So now the Jets head into the bye. And actually, before we do the bye, not the bye, just what what we're hoping to see after the bye. Let's go over some uh, some studs and duds from this this week's embarrassing loss. And you say, oh, how can there be any studs? And I get it. Believe me, it's sometimes it's tough to find three or four guys that stand out in a positive way on film after the game. But there were a few guys who did. Um, one honorable mention, because I'll do three of each. Eli McGuire gets an honorable mention cause, for the reasons I, I listed earlier. Did a decent job catching it, decent job running it. Just didn't get enough ice to, to bulk out the numbers. And, and let's face it, with a ton of carries with this, team, with this line running, the numbers might have But he's done a solid job since coming back. Not all that bad. And... uh He's just he's just a guy who can do, you know, we talked about it. Mini Blah Pal does a lot of things well. Put into the top three players. Uh number three, Nathan Shepard. Nathan she- Nathan Shepard's been, been earning good grades from PFF. And I, I get it. I mean I've been watching the film and I've been saying he's he's come really close to making some plays. He's been, you know, just a hair late getting to the quarterback. Uh, nearly had some TFLs where he was right there. One in particular I tweeted out a couple weeks ago, he got grabbed from behind and basically ripped backwards and suplexed off of a guy that stopped him from getting a big TFL. Even with the nice grades, and that's why PFF is its one of the reasons they're, they're imperfect. You can't tell me a guy has this amazing grade as an interior D lineman and through nine games, he has six tackles. You know, the production has to count for something, right? But uh, but he has been doing some good things on film. Don't get me wrong. But uh, this week we saw some production. Uh, season high, six tackles. Not bad for an interior lineman. A um, couple of those tackles, three or four of them were within two or three line, two or three yards of the line of scrimmage. So they were stops that you know prevented big gains. Had a nice tackle on LaShawn McCoy from the backside. Beat his man. Beat his blocker to the inside. Ran him down. Stopped McCoy for no gain. So Shepard had himself a nice game, and he, he's a guy that I think I'm really interested in watching over the season's final few weeks because he, like I said, he's the first few weeks of the season, he was completely invisible. You didn't know if he was even on the field. Then then you'd see him flash once or twice, like, okay, maybe maybe he's coming on a little bit, and now over the over the following few weeks, flashing just that little bit more. You say, okay, more than... 
instead of a couple times, it's maybe four or five times you see him, you know, like I said, get just misses a sack or, you know, he's, he's always in the area of the ball, around the ball carrier. And then, so he's a guy I've been watching closely. And then this week, um, finally broke out a little bit in terms of, you know, making some plays. Like I said, six tackles, not a bad number for an interior lineman. So hopefully he builds off of that. Um, number two guy, Jamal Adams. The guy just goes all out every single week. Doesn't matter how late in the game, how early in the game. None, none of it matters. The guy just does a fantastic, fantastic job. Had a half a sack that he shared with Jordan Jenkins. Had a pass defended, tackle for loss. Hit the quarterback a couple times. So Jamal Adams, just all around, <clears throat> all around excellent player. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see when you look at his numbers, when you look at his tackles, his tackles for loss, passes defended, sacks. Um, it's going to be interesting to see if Jamal Adams is in the Pro Bowl conversation or not. Having said last year, he'd never miss another one. Thought that was a little bit much. But we'll see how that how that plays out. And last but not least, top player for me anyway, um, the guy I mentioned earlier, Avery Williamson. Tied for the team lead with 11 tackles. Led the team with seven solo tackles. Meaning, of course, four solo assists. One tackle for loss, another forced fumble. He's got, I feel like he's got a few this year. I feel like he's got... Uh, uh, this is two. Okay, he's got, okay, he's got two two forced fumbles and a fumble recovered. But uh, then, of course, he's got himself a few sacks. So he's Avery Williamson's having himself. Williamson is having himself a nice season. And for me, he was uh, was the best player on on the field the other night. What the hell does that mean in a forty-one ten game? Right? Who cares? Listen, it matters because despite the narrative that all oh, these guys are quitting. They, nobody showed up to play. Everybody quit. You don't get 11 tackles in a game where you quit, you know? And just and just go watch the game again, as painful as it may be. Look at the effort from some of these guys. The effort's there. Don't tell me Henry Anderson quit or that Adams quit or Williamson quit. A couple guys, yeah, a couple guys, questionable effort, questionable Let's say even just the results were so bad. Buster Screen was getting smoked again. Jermaine Johnson we talked about. See, there are some guys where the effort definitely, you could you could rightfully question it. But to say the whole team quit, I mean, that's, yes, it feels like it when you're losing, when you're losing to the Bills by 30 points at home. But it's just, it, it, the film doesn't match that statement, doesn't, doesn't support that statement. If you and for the most part got their asses kicked and only a couple guys played well, that would be accurate. That would be a that would be a true statement. But this whole everybody quit garbage is just it's just lazy and it's not you know, it's not based in reality. But either way, whether it's that you quit or that you didn't execute or that you were absent minded, you know, mental lapses None of it looks good on Todd Bowles. So the duds, this one will be easy. We'll just plow right through them. Jermaine Johnson, not only did he get smoked, he got smoked by a practice squad player. 
you got smoked by a practice squad player on the first play of the game, coming back from an injury, you'd expect to be fired up and ready to roll. That wasn't the case. Buster screen was terrible. But really, honestly, as much as I can pick on Buster screen, you could call out the fact that the whole damn front seven, which, yes, would include Williamson, but I think you all know what I mean. Just no pressure. No pressure on Barkley. Not a great job there. But we'll go with Johnson. We'll go with screen because he got burnt quite a bit. And then, of course, it's got to be Todd Bowles, number one. You just lost a home game, a game you had to win to, I mean, not that it would have saved your job, but at least could have quieted some of the whispers about whether or not you belong in your position. And you lost in embarrassing fashion to a quarterback who, you know, can't save enough time, doesn't, doesn't belong in the league. You want to say he belongs in the league? He hasn't been in the league for some time. And he had 10 days to get ready, and he mopped the floor with your defense. And you're supposed to be able to hang your hat on the fact that you're a defensive guy. Incredibly embarrassing effort all around. And Todd Bowles absolutely deserved to be called out. Everybody who wanted him gone was right in wanting it. But as we know, back down, or shouldn't even say back down. They, for whatever reason, they like the guy a lot more than you might expect. Definitely a lot more than the fan base right now. And it's, you know, sometimes it's tough to get this fan base united. A lot of arguments, a lot of debate. The number of Twitter polls that I've thrown up there this year that Jet Nation, the site themselves have thrown up this year. And a lot of the results come back, you know, 53-47, 55-45. You know, fans are torn almost right down the middle. Jet Nation, Jet Nation did a poll on Instagram. Is it time for the poll? 97% said yes. <laughs> this is not, this is not a, a discussion. This is not a uh, – <laughs> to say this is a one-sided discussion would be a – an understatement. The fans want him gone. And rightfully so. Can't blame anybody who, who's, you know, And I, uh, one thing I saw a lot of this week on our forums at JetNation.com, and check those out if you haven't. JetNation.com, go to the forum, forums, register, log in, and, and join the fray because it's a good time. But there was this week there was a lot of I supported Todd Bowles up until now. I believed in Todd Bowles up until now. Game did it for me. This is inexcusable. I can no longer support this head coach. Chris Johnson can. He doesn't seem to mind, you know. Maybe he does, but listen, people say, what is it? It's not going to fix everything if we fire Todd Bowles. Who said, who said it would? Who said it would fix everything? Of course it won't fix everything. But it shows the fans that you've had enough, just like they've had enough. It shows the fans that this stuff won't be tolerated. 
But instead, I mean, the Jets have done the impossible here when, when you really think about it. This should be wins and losses should be almost meaningless this year. And it should be about the development of Sam Darnold. And fans should be excited. Nobody wants to go to these games right now. MetLife Stadium. I can't see it being anything. If you go to a gym point and MetLife some point for the rest of this year and be miserable, that would exceed my expectations. I think miserable is aiming high right now. Because they're going to lose. They're going to lose ugly. And they're going to lose with a head coach. He can stand and nobody wants anymore. But this is what ownership has deemed to be the appropriate route. There are some beat writers who are saying this is the right move. I don't believe they think that for one second. I think writers sometimes think it benefits them to support the team. When things get rough, you can't, there, there's nothing, there, there's not a single justification you can give me that makes sense to keep Todd Bowles. I saw one the other day, and I think this was the, this may have come from a couple of sources, so it may have been sort of unofficially official or officially unofficial statement from the team that they wanted to maintain continuity on defense. Really? You watch Matt Barkley hang 41 on your team, and your first thought is, let's keep this continuity. We want to keep this defense intact. Where, how does one come to that conclusion? In arguably the most embarrassing loss, not even arguably, in the most embarrassing loss of this head coach's tenure, he gives up 41 points to a bum quarterback, and the reaction from the team is, we want some more of that. Don't give me the out. out. You're going to stunt Sam Darnold's growth. You mean the way the Browns stunted Baker Mayfield's growth this week? Fired his bum head coach? And he went out and had his best game as a pro? There's no logical, valid argument. Who's going to take over for him? It's six games. I've mentioned Carl Durrell a million times. Hell, Rick Dennison has been around for a million years. Let him run the team for a month and a half. You have a tight end coach slash assistant head coach in Caldwell. Let him take the job for six weeks. Anybody. But do something that shows the fans that what's the product, the performance on the field right now is not acceptable. And this was the buy. This was your best chance to do it. That was the one silver lining in this thing. Well, one of two silver linings in this whole thing. The first one being 
you, the Jets are looking at another top 10 pick, possibly top five. The second one being this with the bye. This was your shot. It's the one time all year where you can say, let's turn this staff over, and they have two weeks to get ready for the next game. Now that's gone. You're going to keep Todd Bowles around. Todd Bowles says he doesn't see any immediate changes in the future or any changes to his coaching staff right now, but they will discuss it. So what does have to change? I mean, listen, I know it's tough to even think about this stuff. Because believe me, there's, there are times for a franchise where, as someone who writes for the team, I mean, no, I'm talking beat writers, or even just a, you know, an idiot blogger like myself, who does it, you know, labor of love, love the team, love the site, love Jet Nation, love the, fin- the feedback and interaction with the fans. But times like this, you know that anything you write, unless it's breaking news that alters the future of the franchise, all people care about right now is Todd Bowles getting fired. And why isn't he fired? And anything you write, people's first response is, when are they going to fire Todd Bowles? It was the same thing a few years ago with Ryan Fitzpatrick. Once he threw those six picks against Kansas City, I think that was Kansas City, right? Yeah. That's all anybody wanted to talk about. If somebody had rushed for 300 yards in that game and you tried to write an article and say, that dude had a good game, nobody cared. All they wanted to talk about was Benjamin Ryan Fitzpatrick. And it made sense. So right now the fan base is mad. If you say, you know, to a lot of fans, if you say, look, well, here's some ideas moving forward. No, 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 no. The only idea we need to worry about right now is firing Todd Bowles. And then we can talk about other things. But despite that, we're going to talk about other things. What are a few moves that we can see from Todd Bowles? I mean, assuming assuming he still wants this job. And who who knows at this point? You know, that, that comes when, you hear a, when you hear a player say that a coach didn't address or didn't say anything meaningful to a team is Todd Bowles just sitting back and saying, look, man, this thing, this thing is done. I know I'm gone, but I got to wait to get fired so I can get my paycheck for the next couple of years. And I don't fault him for that. That's human nature, but what's got to happen. What, what would be nice to see just a couple of these things we already talked about others. We didn't. So first and foremost, get the pass protection playing better. And I don't mean better than they have all season. That's not going to happen. I'm just saying better than they have over the last two weeks. It's been ugly. And I, we talked about, uh, for those of you who follow Brian Baldinger on Twitter, and Baldinger was ripping the Jets, laying into them for the number of times they had uh, Sam Donald setting up with an empty backfield. No, no protection, no backs, no tight ends. And D Lyman pinning their ears back. You're doing it against Cam Wake. Doing it against a future Hall of Famer who's abusing Brandon Shell. And you're getting Sam Donald beat up back there. So let's see let's see fewer empty backfields. Let's see fewer five receiver sets. 
get some tight ends on the line, go jumbo packages, line up a fullback, whether it's Tomlinson or Herndon, something, something to protect Sam Donald. Even if the protection itself doesn't improve, schematically do some things that make defenses have to take that extra step to get to your quarterback or beat that extra blocker to get to your quarterback. So that that's priority number one is just just get back to the way the O-line was playing three or four weeks ago. Not you know, not, I'm not sitting here saying find a way in the next six weeks to make this an, an elite offensive line. That duh, not happening. But take some time to find out how to protect your guy better. Do that. Listen, the rollouts. I've said I, the Sam Donald's ineffectiveness on rollouts early in the year was shocking to me because he was so good at it in college, so good at it in training camp, so good at it in the preseason, and it just didn't transpire into games. I like the fact that the Jets got away from it after three or four weeks and said, look, this isn't working. However, comma, it's time to, to reincorporate that. And I'm not saying it has to be eight, nine, ten times a game like it was before, but just more than we've been seeing. So let's see some fullbacks, let's see some tight ends, let's see some jumbo, let's see some rollouts. And when you do roll out, this is the second thing. And and, and this is something with the Jets that for years always baffled me. We've seen we've seen this team go through stretches where they just cannot score. Whether it was with Mark Sanchez at quarterback or Chad Pennington at quarterback, this team would have stretches where they would struggle mightily. And I would watch those teams, and I would think to myself, why are you not trying to get the ball into the hands of Leon Washington or Santana Moss? Like, when you have one or two guys who can legitimately use their game-breaking speed to make a play to put you on the board, why are they not a focal point of your offense? If you're only scoring six points anyway, you may as well do, you know, it's like a pitcher in baseball. You know, make them hit your best pitch. Robbie Anderson right now is your best pitch for, for a stagnant offense. Nobody on this team does what he does. That guy can give you a shot to score every time he runs a go route. And even if you're missing him, look, eventually you're going to hit one. And then maybe you hit two. Happened against Denver. Do it enough times that teams have to respect it and think about it. But we're not seeing enough of that. Robbie Anderson should be a guy, when your offense stinks and you have a guy like Robbie Anderson, at a minimum you got to be taking one deep shot per quarter to that guy. Once a quarter, at least. Because you're going to hit eventually. And and the other stuff you're doing, none of that is hitting eventually. So let's improve the pass protection. And when you improve the pass protection, let's see some deep shots to Robbie Anderson. Also, the guy I mentioned earlier, Elijah McGuire. Let's see some more of him. Let's see. He 
he needs to be getting more carries at this point than Isaiah Crowell. And Crowell, nothing about Crowell. This is something that Rich Tinley mentioned the other day when I did their show, as I said earlier, the no-fly zone guys. Crowell is being underutilized in the passing game. He's got one or two drops this year, but he's a a better receiver than people realize out of the backfield. Guy has a couple drops, you don't bail on him for the season. That's just stupid. So that's just a segue there, a little segue. But Elijah McGuire needs to be seeing the bulk of the carries. And not 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 he gets seven and uh, Isaiah Crowell gets six. I mean, feed him, run him. I know, of course, you're limited if you know if you look at the fact that the, the O line's been so bad. But you know, small sample size. But he's at four point four a carry on his twelve carries since coming back, uh, since rejoining the roster. So keep feeding him. See if he can make something happen. Because they might have something there in Elijah McGuire. And if he can play running back as well as he's shown at times, then that's one less need that you have going into the offseason. The next one, and it, the next thing that we'd like to see, that I'd like to see in the second half, probably the hardest one for Todd Bowles. Because this is something he struggles with mightily. And that is benching veterans who are not performing. Todd Bowles not like that. Once you win a job under Todd Bowles, it, it's basically a Supreme Court position appointee. You're in that job for life. But right now, I know he's making a ton of money, but Tremaine Johnson, at the rate he's been getting beat, give him another week or two. Give him the benefit of the doubt all you want, the injuries. I'm not saying if they have to mention they're, that's, that they're in big trouble. This guy's in year one of his deal. And if they're, I mean, but it looks like they're at that point now. At least now you can use the excuse that he's not 100%. We thought we'd sit him for a couple more weeks. And it's not just Rainn Johnson, Morris Claiborne. He's had an up and down year. He's been good at times, but he's been bad enough of late. He gave up a complete, was it third and 20? Buffalo ducked it up there. Converted on a third down and 20. That was with Claiborne in coverage. Beat, I think it was a 30-yard catch. Could be mistaken, but just a terrible, terrible. I think it was uh, it was Foster again, if I'm not mistaken. Huge game for him. But listen, the, re- the reason I'd like to see those guys grab some pine... I'd like to see Rashard Robinson a little bit. I'd like to see Derek Jones a little bit. And while we're at it, Buster Screen hasn't been all that great, and he's in his final year. Let's get Perry Nickerson some run. Because you're not winning any damn games anyway. So if these, these guys go out there, the safeties haven't been bad. Jamal Adams, Marcus May, they haven't been bad in coverage at all. Problem with the secondary is the corners. I mean, no, I don't think anybody would disagree. Daryl Roberts has probably been their best corner this year when he's been when he's been given the opportunity. So let's see some more of him. But basically, these guys keep getting beat like this. There's no reason for them to be on the field. No reason at all. We're going to go to the phones real quick. Uh, we've got a caller, 201 caller. What's your name? What do you got for us? Hey, Glenn. How you doing? It's Alex. 
Hey, Alex, I thought that was you. I saw that area code. How are we doing, buddy? Oof, doing all right. Glad that I can finally not watch a Jets loss this Sunday. I'm, I'm still looking forward to not watching the Jets this Sunday. It's going to be glorious. Oh, you know, going to go outside, you know, maybe get some productive things done. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I uh, wholeheartedly agree with you on that. So what do you got for us this week? What are your thoughts? Uh, you know, well, I know we spoke a couple weeks ago um, yep. that if they had dropped these last two games that, you know, we might have to change our conversation uh, about how we felt about the the head coach. And, you know, clearly at this point, um, I'm laying down my guard. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I, my understanding is that the evaluation will come at the end of the season for continuity. Yep. I'm, I'm okay with that, you know. It's continuity of what though? Like you, you just gave up 41 points to Matt Barkley and you, and, and the team says they're keeping him in place because they want continuity on defense. Like they did, they gave up 41 points to Matt Barkley who a few days earlier wasn't in the NFL. That to me is is probably the scariest thing that came that I came away from on Sunday uh, because yeah. we have seen throughout the weeks that this offense has regressed and they continue to struggle to move the sticks and yeah. you know stay on the field and our defense is playing you know seventy percent of the game and you know it's, it's just been crazy and you know you thought with uh, you know veteran quarterback coming things would change but what really really just frazzled my mind is how terrible this defense looked. We couldn't stop the run. Uh, we were poor in coverage. Uh, you know, I'm sure you mentioned it earlier, Tremaine Johnson getting beat by, I believe, a practice squad guy. Yep. It was like the twilight zone. And, you know, I'm hoping and that this was a reality Claiborne. check. Morris Claiborne got beat by the same practice squad guy on third and 20 later in the game. Yep. You know, it's just something, I don't know. It's like something was in the Gatorade that day. Uh, those guys were, you know, ghosts in the shell. Um, I, I don't know what it was because that's not the defense that I've seen, you know, for the first 10 weeks of the season. That that was really, really poor execution. And, um, you know, something that Jamal Adams had said, um, you know, which is, you know, pretty amazing for such a young player to say it. And he says, you know, I know everybody's looking at the coaches and everything like that, but they're not the ones on the field. You know, there's 11 guys on that field that are supposed to execute and do their job, and nobody did their job on last Sunday. And yeah, you know, I mean, bold I, statement, I, 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 and I can't disagree. <clears throat> yeah, but it, you know, it, that's if if we follow that logic, you would never fire a coach. Like no coach mm-hmm. would ever be worthy of firing because listen, I you could be a coach and just hey, everyone just do what I say. Like it's not that simple. It's the job of the coach to put a guy in position to succeed. And um, I and, and I talked about it earlier, and I don't know if you saw Jamal Adams' comments, but he's kind of contradicting himself because on the one hand, Jamal Adams is saying, um, you know, I'm riding with T. Bowles, and he's my guy, and we got his back. And then the next day he goes on the radio and says, yeah, those issues we had last year with no discipline, those issues are still there this year. Yeah, so that, that was an interesting part of that that interview that he, you know, yeah, I can't it, sit it, there and tell you that anything's changed because we're still losing, and you know, that I think yeah. that was the culture question, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it, well, it was from this preseason when he said that, you know, there were some some issues with effort, 
Yeah, and you know what I like, too, is that when he was asked if the coaches were to come to you or what Chris Johnson was to come to him and say, you know, who are the guys that, that you feel are, are bleeding green and, and are diehard Jets and who are the guys that are, you know, just here to get a paycheck? And he said, I'd be more than happy to have that conversation, you know, and and speak my mind, you know, I'll shoot it straight, you know, and it's really respectful. And, uh, listen, um, I, I, wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't tell you. I mean, Chris Johnson would be a fool not to take him up on that because um, even as the owner, look, he, he's not in the locker room. The players are, and there's one thing, you know, as far as Jamal Adams goes, I don't think you can question how badly he wants to win. And, um, it, you know, he's, uh, he's clearly frustrated. I, 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 the one thing I hope he takes from this is let's not give the secondary any cool nicknames until they actually do something. Because I thought this whole yeah. new Jackson thing was way overblown for a unit who had done nothing. Um, but I'm glad that he, at least as an individual, for the, for, you know, I'd say 95% of the time, he's, he's lived up to all the talk about how good he was going to be. Because he's been fantastic this season. Um, you know, it's nothing cooler than seeing somebody you uh, live up to their statement and, you know, he believes in himself and, you know, he believes in his hard work and, you know, what he does, he feels is going to result on the field. And, you know, even when he has his off days, I still think he played a pretty decent game. You know, he didn't statistically look great, but, you know, I, I just, he'll, he'll take it and he, he won't hesitate to say, I could have been better. You know, I could have done more. There's a couple of plays mm-hmm. on the field that I want, I want back. And, you know, that type of mentality, you know, you hope it spreads throughout the locker room and you need to get more people around him with that type of mentality so that it's just not him. You know, I I saw a lot of fans and I've heard some people talk about late in the game, um, he just had not a really big play. Uh, Shady McCoy tried to bounce it to the outside and he basically, you know, kept good outside containment and, and forced him for a very low minimal game game and um we were he was on our side you know our side of the field and he just kind of had this burst of emotion and a lot of people said oh you know go back to the huddle like you know stuff that what i really think he's trying to do is take that energy from the defense into the offense and say hey guys don't give up on yourselves you know we're still there's still time on the clock you know yeah you know i gotta tell you i uh I, I noticed that, and it really aggravated me at the time. I, I don't like seeing a guy celebrate while you're down 31-3. But I do think Jamal Adams is probably falls into that category of guys that just it, – it, he does love the game so much, and he is such a competitor that he, he he's fired up and he's trying to get everyone going. It just – it is a bad look. Like the optics, when you see him, it just looks like a guy – the example I always give and unless you're a, an old man like me who remembers random, stupid, meaningless stuff, this would mean nothing to you. But I always think back to a game many years ago during the Rich Cotite era uh, where the Jets were losing a game safe type thing. They were down like 28-3 or 31-3, just a game that was way out of reach. And they had the second-round pick named Alex Van Dyke who caught a touchdown. Wow. And the dude was celebrating like he just caught a game winner. And I'm looking at him and I'm thinking, what the, catch the ball, be happy for yourself, but just go back to the sideline. Like nobody cares right now. The the reason you're out there is to win this game. And that's an impossibility at this point. So just make your plays and go back to the bench and 
you know, figure out what you're going to do for next week. Um, even as a kid, and until this day, I can't stand it. And when Jamal Adams did it, that was my initial reaction. But then I kind of thought, and I, I kind of said, maybe all this talk about how much this game means to him and how competitive he is, maybe it's not just talk. Because a lot of guys say all that stuff. I hate to lose, and I'm a competitor. But really, a lot of guys, it's just their job. Um, but I think with him, I'm giving him a little. I'm giving him a little. Uh, I'm going to cut him some slack because I think he really is just that fired up and and he's that into it in the moment. And and yet it's a youth thing too. You know, he's still a young guy. He's boisterous. Maybe in time that stuff goes away, but it doesn't bother me as much now looking back at it as it did in the moment. Yes, absolutely. And you know, like you said, with being as young as he is. Um, I'm glad that, you know, he's being open and honest, but, you know, sometimes you have to dial it back a little bit and don't let your emotions get the best of you. Because, you know, there was that instance where he said, yep, TB's the right guy, this and that. And then, like you said, he's also saying that I can't honestly tell you that there hasn't been a locker room change. And, you know, Bart Scott during that interview tried to, you know, poke a little fun and get him to laugh and kind of, you know, Turn, turn, turn him over, and he wouldn't have it. You know, he was still frustrated. He was still to the point to where he was probably biting his bottom lip. And, you know, he's a young guy. He's a passionate guy. He's all in um, in this game. And, you know, he's all in as far as the Jets are concerned, too. And, uh, you know, it's, it's nice to have one good bright spot on this team. And, you know, if, if anything that can be said, you know, moving forward, is that now they need to find their Jamal Adams on the opposite side of the ball. Uh, because, you know, Sam is young, and we do want him to be the leader of this team. We want him to be the guy for the, of this team. But at the moment, I think you do need somebody that can have that style of Jamal's role on the offense, pick guys up, keep the energy moving. You know, when when it, when things are getting tough, they can put the game on their back. Yeah, and you're right. You know, they they, they, they need some more guys like him in that locker room. You know, but guys like that aren't easy to find. But now, you know, the Jets are where they are. They're three and seven, likely headed to a top five pick, likely headed for a new head coach. I did see a report today that said Mike McCagnan is safe uh, for at least this year. I think that's at least my opinion. I think it's the right thing to do. I think um, I think getting Sam Donald buys you time. I think the fact that that Herndon is playing well, that Shepard is playing well, that McGuire is, is flashing a little bit. As I said, we need to see more of him. Adams and May are playing well. Um, I think enough of his picks are showing, and, and I do want to see more of these guys. I, I want to see more of Herndon. I want to see more of Shepard. I want to see more McGuire. I want to see Leggett get some more targets because he doesn't have a lot of targets this year, but he's made some, he's made some nice grabs. He looks like uh He's showing off those hands, and he's been a much better blocker than I anticipated, at least in the game. In that game, not so much. But I think Leggett's been better than a lot of people expected. These guys just – listen, when you're going three and out every series, guys aren't going to get a lot of opportunities. So, um, the, they, you know, two of the points I I brought up is that they need to they need to improve the pass blocking. You know, it's it was never going to be great, but it was definitely, in my mind anyway – Weeks one through eight, it was a hell of a lot better than it was weeks nine and ten. Um, so the pass blocking looks to have regressed a little bit. So get that back on track. Let's get McGuire involved. Let's get Herndon heavily involved. 
and take some deep shots down the field and, and try to, you know, give the defense something to work with at this point. And, and how about this, too? Uh, can Derek Jones get at least active on a Sunday? Can the guy no at least get his feet wet? Yeah, I, I just mentioned that a few minutes ago in talking about the changes I'd like to see moving forward. Um, and the big two of the big ones were they need to sit some of these guys that are stinking it up at corner. I, I don't care if Tremaine Johnson is due to make a trillion dollars. If the guy just keeps getting beat time and again, sit him down. I want to see Rashard Robinson and Derek Jones, both, you know, both lengthy corners who can run with anybody. I mean, basically Jones and, and Robinson – both those guys' attributes are so far off the charts that if even one of them develops, you might have an elite corner on your hands, um, or at least a good one. So, yeah, I and, agree 100%. I don't know why Derek Jones is inactive every week. I think Derek Jones needs to be getting some reps, some live reps, especially now at 3-7. and seven. But this is the problem. This is what you run into when you're, you know, and this, we had to saw the same thing with Rex Ryan. These coaches who think, Maybe I can win a few games late and, and, you know, reverse my fate so they don't want to look at Derek Jones. He doesn't have time for that. Um, and ownership is certainly in no position to give him any assurances. This isn't a situation where and, – and I brought this point up earlier, and I'm sure you weren't tuned in yet, but to me it's the biggest reason why I think Mike McCagnin – well, one of the biggest reasons I think he gets to stick around is that under Todd Bowles, I don't think we're seeing the best of these players. We're, we've seen several guys on this team, whether it's Robbie Anderson, Jermaine Curse, Leonard Williams, we've seen a lot of these guys perform at a much higher level. And now whatever they're being asked to do, they're disappearing, and it's like they're not even on the field. So until we see these guys step up, you know, we're not going to see any – we're not going to see any – the wins aren't going to register. And for as long as they're not winning, Todd Bowles isn't going to be willing to say – let me, let me give Rashard Robinson, you know, he's, he's going to play the fourth quarter this week. Let me, let's get Derek Jones some rotational reps and pull guys for a few series. It's not going to happen because he's trying to win. But at the same time, you, you, you've had so many guys underperform, you're not going to keep your job. And the team is in no position to say, yeah, we can guarantee you're coming back next year. So go ahead and let some of the kids play. It's not going to happen. So it's kind of a Todd Bowles is no longer looking at the long-term future of the team. He is, I assume trying to save his job. So when you're trying to save your job, you don't give a damn about where, whether Derek Jones can play better next year, but by the same token, how much worse can these guys be guys be than Jermaine Johnson? Yeah. You know, you hit a lot of really good points there and, you know, it brings up a question in my mind. um, But you said it perfectly right if a head coach is concerned about losing his job and it's too risky for him to play younger players because, you know, they could blow a coverage here or there and it just goes back to making him look bad. Uh, so you're going to go with the, the guys that you think you have the best chance to, to win with. And right now you're looking at the defensive backs, Mo Claiborne's on a one-year deal and Buster Screen's in the final year of his contract. And both of those guys are no spring chickens. So if you're going to think about, you know, the team long-term down to 2019, they may not be on this team next year. So yeah, yeah. I would say, I would say there's 0% chance they're on the team next year. And that's why Perry. So what's the point? What's the point of, of having them finish out the season? You got six more games left. 
and you want to know where your nickel's going to be for next year, can it be Perry Nickerson? Could it be Richard Robinson? You know, do we have a, a, a fourth or maybe a fifth guy in Derek Jones? You'll never know if you don't see him on the field. So, you know, that's where, you know, I'm already looking down <laughs> down the road, unfortunately. Uh, but that's where I'm at with these guys. And, you know, less Tomlinson, more Herndon and uh, Leggett in these tight end packages. Uh, and, you know, like you said with, um, you know, some of these defensive backs, you know, at what point in time do you get their evaluation done? You can't just keep evaluating them in training camp and, and you know, preseason games in the second half. You know, you got to see what they're up against at the best of the best, and you got to get them on the field on Sunday. So who knows if they get to that point of the year and, you know, maybe they will start, you know, looking toward toward the younger guys because we'll never know what we have unless if we put them out there.